This is Pastor Bob, and I'd like to welcome you to Gateway's podcast for the weekend of May 23rd. This is a different kind of worship service for us as we wrapped up a six-month series on the book of Ephesians and celebrated together some of the things that God has been doing in our church family. Spread throughout the service were readings from the book of Ephesians, worship music, teaching, communion, and individuals who shared about some of the things that God has been doing in their lives. Due to the very personal nature of one of those stories that was shared, we've edited it from this podcast, but it's our prayer that you'll still be blessed as you listen to some of the things that we experienced together as a church family. So, here are some of the highlights from our Ephesians Celebration Weekend. Morning, Gateway. Well, uh, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently this weekend. Um, We are kind of celebrating uh, a series that we did on the book of Ephesians, and we wanted to take a weekend just to highlight some of the things that God did, some of the things that God taught us, and to take a chance to review the book a little bit. So that's what we're going to do today. It'll feel a little different to you, but hopefully it's encouraging to you. So it was 28 weeks ago. That we started the series on Ephesians. And first I have to apologize because I did say, somebody reminded me yesterday that I said the very first week, which is back the first weekend of November, that when we were done with this series, it would be sunny and warm. <laughs> so that's why I'm a pastor and not a weatherman. Uh, although I think I probably do just as well. So we're studying uh, a book or really more correctly a letter that was written almost 2,000 years ago by a guy named the Apostle Paul. And he wrote it from prison which is important. He wrote it from prison. Uh, He was there because of his faith. And he wrote it to a group of churches in Ephesus that would be located today in modern-day Turkey. And if you were here that first weekend, you might remember we started by talking about the the very first verse and um, the fact that in life we all get some labels that are put on us. You might remember if you were here, talked a little bit about the fact that in my life I had some labels put on me in the second grade. I had a second grade teacher who said I was a problem child. And that's that's the label that she stuck on me, put it in my permanent file. He's a problem child, told my parents he will be in jail before he graduates from high school. And that was a label (laughs) that was stuck on me. And uh, in the fourth grade, I got the label uncool because I got glasses back when it was uncool. You know, not like today, but uh, back then, I was uncool. I had four eyes, you know. Next year, teacher said, well, he's not a very bright child. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuck with me for a while. In fact, it took a lot of years for me to kind of shed that label that had been put on me. And over the, the course of the series, some of you have shared some of the labels that you struggle with over the years. Some of you have shared that you've been wearing a label that says unwanted because you had uh, somebody in your life, someone that you loved who, who rejected you, who uh, turned away from you. And, and that, that was a hard, difficult label to bear. But you've come to realize over the years, in fact, that God loves you more than anyone else. So God puts a different label on you. For some of you, the label that you've been wearing is not good enough for whatever it is. For some of you, it's uh, that you're unimportant. Or uh, that maybe you're, you're just a loser. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul uh, starts this letter by talking about some of the labels that God has put on you if you're a believer. In fact, he says this. He starts the letter this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So here's the first label 
that Paul puts on you if you're a believer. He says that you're a saint. And we talked about that the first week. A saint is just literally somebody who has been taken out of a crowd of, of people and been set aside for an uncommon purpose. And so Paul says, if you're a believer, you're not, you know, a normal person anymore. He says, God has an unusual future for you. Um, he goes on in verse 2 and he says this, Now grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So a couple more labels he puts on us. He says, we've received grace. Now the word grace simply means to receive a free gift, uh, to receive unmerited favor. So God says that he loves you so much and cares so much about you that he gave you a free gift. And, and by the way, the ramifications of that gift, which we've talked about, is it's not something you earn. It's not something you work for. It's just something that God chose in the past to give to you. Another label that he's put on you is the label peace. Because of what Christ has done for you, you're now at peace with God. And by the way, we talked about this. It means that you can also live at peace with every other believer. So maybe if you came in this morning and you're feeling a little stressed or a little bit anxious, Paul's saying, you know what? You ought to take that label and just put it back on and remember that God says you are, you're at peace. Another one is blessed. And what that literally means is that God has given us every spiritual resource that we need to succeed in this life. So we're blessed and God wants us to enjoy those blessings. He goes on and gives us a few more labels. He says, now, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. A couple more labels he gives us. He said, we've been chosen. So that's an interesting one. We talked about that. He says, before you were even born, before you had done anything good or anything bad, God had already chosen you to be his child. So you're chosen, you're wanted. Somebody has sought you out. Another word he gives us is, is adopted. He says that God has adopted you into his family, so you're now a child of God. And then he says this in verse six. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So he gives us one more. He says that we've been redeemed. He says that Christ went to the cross and on that cross he paid for your sin and for mine. And so now we belong to God because of what Christ has done for us. Now he doesn't say, and we've pointed this out many times, he doesn't say you could be these things if you're good enough, if you pray in a certain way, if you give enough or you do these certain things. That's not what Paul says in this book. Here's what Paul says. He says, because of what Christ has done, when you place your faith in Christ, you already are these things. So now he says, you're just free in Christ to be the people that God has already made you to be. So I would just ask you this question as we wrap up the book today. Which one of these labels maybe do you just need to remember and, and put on today? Maybe it's peace. Maybe you're a little stressed right now about something. And God says, yeah, but you've got to understand, I'm totally in control of your life. And so you can be at peace. Maybe you've got some relational issues going on and God says, you know what? Because of what Christ has done for you, you can be at peace with the people in your life. Maybe it's the word blessed. Maybe you, you walked in here today and you've just forgotten how blessed you are and how, how much God wants you to enjoy that blessing. But the greatest label of all that Paul gives us in this book would be this one. 13 times in this book, he uses this label to describe us, in 
Christ. Thirteen times, Paul says, all of these other blessings and and labels come when you are found to be in Jesus Christ. Because when you're in Christ, all this other stuff, it's part of the package. So we're going to talk today and just review a little bit about what it means to be in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for bringing us here today. I want to thank you for the time that we've had together in this book to study, to learn, uh, to be blessed. And now, Father, uh, I, would just, I would just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be able to realize how much love, how much grace, how much blessing you have filled us with. We praise you now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. As we continue on in the book of Ephesians, I want to share with us from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we are dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. One of the ways that we wanted to reflect on the book of Ephesians was to take communion together. This morning as a family, so I'm going to ask the men if they'll come forward at this time and uh, pass out communion. And if uh, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to join us as we celebrate this together. I'm going to pick up our reading of Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 14. Paul's writing, he says this. Now, for this reason, in other words, for all the stuff he's been talking about in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and part of chapter 3, for this reason I kneel... Before the Father, and kneeling was a pretty extreme act for uh, a Jewish believer back then. Um, it usually signified worship or uh, an act of submission. Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul's praying that you and I would receive power from the Holy Spirit because God wants to do something in us that we don't have the power to do on our own. So, of course, a a good question would be, well, what is that? What is the thing that God wants to do in us that we can't do on our own? In verse 17, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, and now he gets to it in verse 18, he says, may have power, so there it is again, what do we need power for? Together with all the saints to grasp, so here it is, Here's why we need the power of the Spirit. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the, is the what? Is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul says what we really need is to, to, to grasp the love of God, but it's something, it, it, there's an irony there. We already have it. If we're believers, we're already filled with it. If we're believers, but we might not get it. We, we might not grasp it. 
And that word grasp in the, in the Greek literally means to take hold of something or, or to apprehend literally something. So Paul says, it's possible that you're filled with the love of God and you don't even know it. It's possible that you're filled with the love of God and yet today you feel unloved. It's possible that today you're filled with all the fullness of God and, and you feel like you don't know if you have a future or you don't know if your life is going to count for anything. And so Paul says, man, I'm, I'm praying for you that you would be able to measure the love of God in your life. And so he, he gives us some things to measure. He says there's, there's width, there's how wide it is and long it is and high it is and, and deep it is. And I like tape measures, especially bright green ones that I can't lose. And if I find them around my house and one of my kids has it, I know it's mine. Um, but I like tape measures. And Paul, Paul says, you know, literally, you need to walk around with the mindset that you're going to look for ways to measure the love of God in your life. So he says, there's the width. Now, there's, there's a little, this is a little tricky in the Greek language. It's a little confusing because when Paul says how wide and how long, those are basically the same thing. And then when he says how high and how deep uh, it, going down, but that's basically the same measurement. It's like Paul gives us four, if you will, dimensions to measure in a three-dimensional universe. So it's almost like what Paul's saying is, you're going to have to work at this because God's love surpasses your ability to understand it. So you need to pray that the Spirit would teach you, that He would give you eyes to measure the love of God in your life. So I think what he's saying is pray that God will give you a, a, a heavenly or a spiritual tape measure that you'll start carrying around with you and using. So where would we use that? Well, uh, there's all sorts of places we can use um, this tape measure. For instance, when we open up the Bible and we start to read it, in the Bible are stories about uh, God's care for us, God's love for us, uh, promises of God for us, the work of Christ on the cross for us. And what Paul says is, don't just read that stuff and go on. He's like, measure it. Think about how much God loves you as you read the Bible. When, when you discuss God with other people, when other people tell you stories of what God has done in their life, you know, as they're sharing it, you can just kind of measure them up, you know, and, and, and notice the love of God in those situations as you begin to live out that love with other people, as, uh, as, as you capture each blessing in your life. I mean, I think one of the biggest reasons we're confused about the love of God is because God's love just, we're, we're, we're so almost drowning in his love, if you will. It's so surrounding us, but we don't notice it. We don't see it. One of the things we need to learn to do is to capture the blessings and the love of God in our life, to have eyes to see it. That's really what Paul's praying for. Pray that God will give you the eyes to see this stuff. Why is it so important that we grasp, that we measure the love of God? Well, because it it changes everything about our lives. When we really begin to measure up the love of God in our life, that's going to uh, impact our relationships. It's gonna change. When we feel loved and filled with God's love, think about how that can change our marriage. Think about how that can change the way we, we relate to our family. When we really feel the love of God, how will, that, how will that change the words that we choose to use? How will that change the choices that we make? How will that impact? When we, when we go to work on Monday and we're filled, we're measured up with the love of God, could that change the way that we approach our job, our finances, our, our, our problems in life? Paul says, measure up the love of God in your life. In verse 20, he says this now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. This passage, pastors, 
we love to take this passage and rip it out of its context and just use it anywhere. Anytime we're talking about, oh, God can do anything in your life, but this passage is specifically tied to this concept of, of, of God being able to help us see his love for us. In other words, what Paul's saying is, humanly speaking, it will be impossible for you to measure up the love of God, but God's power can help you to do that. So to God who's able to do immeasurably more, then anything we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. God has a great power available to us. And I would just kind of paraphrase Paul's prayer this way. It would be like praying to God. You know what, God? I don't need any more of your love because I'm already filled up with it. I just pray that you would give me the power to understand the love that I already have in Christ Jesus because I don't see it all, and therefore I don't enjoy it all. And God wants us to enjoy it. And a great place to start when it comes to measuring the love of God is obviously at the cross of Christ. Because at the cross, we experience on a practical, measurable level God's love for us. And that is the body of Christ. The Bible tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in an upper room. And he passed out a loaf of bread and everybody took off a little piece. He said, in the future, I want you to get together and, and, and you know, take a little oyster cracker. Okay, maybe not, but, uh, but something. I want you to use it to represent my body. My body, Jesus said, that was broken for you, for your salvation, for your redemption. I want you to get together sometimes as believers and I want you to take a little piece of that and I want you to eat it. And when you do it, I want you to remember that I gave this because I love you. Jesus said, as often as you take this bread, do it in remembrance of me. The Bible says that in the same way, he passed around a cup. He said, in the future, when you gather together and and remember what I've done for you, think of this cup as representing my blood that was spilled, that was shed for you, that was given for the remission, for the forgiveness of your sin. And as often as you do this, don't do it out of guilt. Do it out of joy because I gave it because I love you. As often as you drink this, Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me. Uh, In um, chapter four of Ephesians verse uh, 15, uh, we're kind of continuing to read on Paul says this, now now instead, and he's been talking about uh, some of the things that people uh, often engage in that are not glorifying to God or helpful to that person. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, he's talking about the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul says, you know, sometimes uh, it's important uh, to speak the truth. Sometimes it's important to just kind of get the facts out there, talk about the way things are. And so five weeks ago, you might have been here and remembered, we had to do that a little bit with finances. I got to do a uh, sermon on our financial situation. And if you were here, you might remember it wasn't uh, real pretty, but we were uh, kind of fi- 15 weekends into the year in terms of giving. And I had shared with you, that uh, year to date, at that point, we were about $27,000 behind uh, our budget. And, and that was putting us in a tough place 
financially. We could get by, but we couldn't continue to do what we were doing, which was basically we were falling short of budget each week by about $1,800. So we had passed a budget at the beginning of the year, and we were trying to pursue that budget. But every week, uh, the money that was coming in was about $1,800 short. And so that was building up until we got to the point where we were $27,000 in the hole. And so I'd shared with you, um, you know, what could we do uh, to solve that problem? And, And one of the ideas that I came up with was, and it's pretty simplistic, but if on average, every one of us who attend uh, would give an extra $3 a week, um, basically, we would, we would make budget from that point out, and we wouldn't have a problem. Now, for some of you, $3 per person per week would be uh, a tremendous sacrifice, and for some, uh, it may not be as difficult, but I have no idea what God wanted you to do. God had spoken to me and my family, and we knew what we needed to do. But I just wanted to encourage everyone to go home and pray about it. Just go home and pray and figure out what God wanted you to do um, and, and do that. So I wanted to just kind of let you know how things have been going since then. First of all, I just wanted to just, again, um, say thank you for those of you who reminded me why I just love being here because there's so much love and encouragement and support and the emails and the letters and the phone calls that uh, we received the week after that were just, it was, it was tremendous. It was awesome and we want to thank you for that and for the love that you have for the church. Financially though, um, we've had four weeks of giving since then and so basically what was hap- what's happened is instead of um, our giving being about $1,800 a week short, since that time over the last four weeks, um, giving increased by about $2,885 a week. So what that means, bottom line, is we're no longer losing $1,800 a week. Instead, we're gaining back, on average per week, about $1,085. Um, total, at this point, about $4,343. And um, that's pretty awesome. That, that's incredible. And um, I tell you, if, if I would have enjoyed that sermon a lot more if I had known a month later <laughs> that we would be in the situation we are. But I tell you, God is good, isn't he? God is great. And I love what Paul says here. Paul says, notice what the body does. It grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so God doesn't give all of us the same work to do. But, but our job is to figure out what that work is and just to do that. And so for those of you who increased your giving, um, I just want to say to you, thank you. Uh, your sacrifice is absolutely making a difference in this church. And, uh, and I thank you. I don't know who you are because I don't know who gives what, but God does, and so I thank you for that. Uh, for those of you who maybe haven't gotten around to that yet, you thought about it, maybe you haven't made a decision yet, I would just tell you we could still use your help as a body. Right now, we're on track to end the year in the black, and that would be great. But as you know, um, God has a lot of things, I think, that he would like to do through this church and our community, and we'd love to be able to do those things. And so... I would just ask you to continue to pray about that and to think, uh, think about that. But I just want to thank you because God has been good to us. Pastor Bill. Well, on our tour through Ephesians, we uh, studied a couple of really great prayers. And, and one of those we already looked at with communion as, as Paul prayed about knowing the love of God. He also prayed something else for the the Ephesians, and uh, he prayed that, that they would really be able to experience God completely. I want to read that prayer for you. He says, For this reason, 
Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. It's a great prayer, and it's a, it's a great concept. The idea that you would know God better and that you would understand how he wants to come to your life w- with great power. But, of course, I think most of us, I know I do, I, I read that, and I think that's a great prayer, but I, but I wonder how much of that will, will really play out. I mean, if I... If I step out and really live for God, is he going to really show up for me powerfully? That's a great question. I want to ask DJ and Kathy if they would come up, because a few weeks ago, after one of the the services, they came up and shared a, a, a little bit of their story with Pastor Bob and I, and we thought, you know what, if you've ever asked that question, does God show up? Um, here's some people who could encourage you that the answer truly is yes. And if you ever have a chance to uh, hear more of their story than we're able to tell today, I would encourage you. It will be worth your time. But I want to just uh, jump into the middle of your life. I know there's a lot before this that would be encouraging as well. But uh, years ago, you had a couple small children. You'd move to uh, North Dakota, take a new job. So, you, uh, you know, you transplant your family. That's always a big stress. And you go to a new job, a social worker in a hospital, and you're there all of a week when you lose your job. And so, um, you know, you moved, and and I don't know, I'm thinking most of us would be saying, why, God? Why? What do we do now? So you go home, and you pray for a few days, and uh, DJ comes up with this idea that they'll get in the car and start wandering around teaching people about prayer, right? Now, before we get to him and this, um, I think most of us would say that's the lack of a plan, not a plan. But anyway, how does a wife and a mom respond to that? Good. Thank you, Pastor Bill. Uh, Really, the only thing we could do was seek the Lord. We were convinced he had brought us there for that job. Well, in our mind, of course, for that job. But when the job ceases, then you say, Now, Lord, what do you want? So I sought the Lord. And as Pastor Bill was saying, we had a four-year-old and a two-year-old child, children, two children. And I was a stay-at-home mom. Our role, my role in the family was to be at home with them. And so I sought the Lord, and he said, continue that way in the sense that you will not be the provider. So I turned to him, and I said, Lord, I, I, I have to have your peace on this. I have to know and be able to trust 
my husband enough to just have the peace. And the Lord just answered that prayer for a year. He allowed that to be a gift to me for a whole year without a job. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of power to me, <laughs> to have peace over. I'm sorry, DJ, but over a plan like that. So you're gonna, <laughs> your plan is to just hit the road and teach people wherever you can go about prayer, about God. And uh, tell us, did God show up? Well, we all have our prayer stories. And Pastor Bob said this morning, he said, God wants to do something in us we could not do on our own. Well, we were about to find out what he wanted to do that we couldn't do on our own. So we actually were given the choice of quitting or getting fired because I had prayed with a lady who ended up in the hospital who then told the nurse and who told the administrator that I'd prayed with her. Well, in those days, that wasn't what you could do. And so the administrator just simply said, well, you have the choice. You can quit or get fired. Well, I, I hadn't done anything wrong. And so I was free to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to do? Uh, because I knew I, I was out of a job. And he said, I want you to travel. I said, what do you want me to go? He said, Spokane and Seattle. I said, I don't know anybody there. He said, I do. And so he, we took off. And uh, what did we do? We had no idea what to do. But we traveled 40,000 miles that year. And we traveled... Out and back. And we would come home and we'd just wait. It was like there was absolutely no plan after that. And we would just pray and the Lord would say, I want you to go here. And so we'd pack the car and go there. What did we have to lose? We had nothing there. So we had to go. But God had given us a verse and it says in Second Corinthians 9, 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And that's the verse we went back to all year over and over again. And so he, he proved to be more faithful, and he really wanted to do something in us that we could not have done on our own. All right. And let me, I just promise you, they have got a lot more stories about God providing every day, every day. It's just astounding. And so, you know, if you find yourself in that place, I don't know if God's going to show up in my life and you want to talk to someone who could encourage you, DJ and Kathy would love to do that. Get to know them if you have the chance. Uh, there's much more they can offer you. So thank you so much for sharing. All right, Michael, come on up and uh, take us to the next part of Ephesians. Pastor Bob asked me to share uh, a verse, a couple verses out of Ephesians chapter 5. So Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 17 reads, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Bob asked me to share how I've recently applied that verse to my life. I work as an elementary teacher in a uh, school in Vancouver. I teach in the library, teach kids how to use the library. So that means in the summer, I have the summers off, and so I'm a stay-at-home dad in the summertime. My wife works full-time. And usually I spend my summer working on home projects around the house, the honey-do list. Uh, I go adventuring with my boys and... You know, we do a lot of camping and go on vacations together. Well, early this spring, God kind of prompted me to go down with, uh, on Gateway's uh, Nicaragua uh, trip down to Nicaragua and help um, the Nicaraguans build a church down there. And 
that's, you know, God prompted me to do that, and I, I, that was an opportunity, and I kind of felt, you know, I had some selfish reasons why I didn't, shouldn't go or didn't need to go, or, uh, you know, my, one of my selfish ideas was I, want, I had saved that money for doing some vacations, and, you know, I'd kind of like to go to Hawaii, and, you know, I'd like to do that instead. Uh, there's also a utility trailer I'd like to have at my house so I can help me do those uh, home projects, and I need to remodel my bathrooms too. And so th- those are some reasons why I shouldn't have gone. And then um, leaving my wife for two weeks and my boys, uh, and my wife works full-time, and so what is she going to do with my boys? And I thought, what are we going to do? And so I just, you know, got to trust God for that. And... Another thing is I don't speak Spanish. Uh, I don't speak a lick of Spanish. I'm a redhead. It's hot down there, and I sunburn easy, and there's volcanoes down there. And <laughs> so, uh, you know, after praying with my wife about it, and, um, you know, I thought it was unwise to be hold on to my selfish desires, and, you know, just, you know, I thought, I need to trust God in this. And... You know, God's given me a lot of opportunities to be a light in the areas where I am. Uh, as a public teacher, a lot of t- public school teacher, a lot of times I'm not able to bring God into my lessons and into my conversations. But I have kids and parents and teachers asking me, what are you going to do this summer? Well, I'm going to go down to Nicaragua and build a church with my church family. And so it allows me just to share uh, in, in my school setting. Uh, it also allowed me, uh, I was at Lowe's, and I said, I need a tape measure that's both metric and American on the same tape, because they use both down there. And they, why do you need that? Well, I'm going down to Nicaragua to build a church, and so had a, a chance to have a conversation with a guy at the store. Um, you know, I, I pray that uh, God allows me to teach my young boys the importance of serving others, uh, missions, and just the... Um, you know, how abundantly blessed we're in this country. Um, you know, we, I don't think my boys understand that, and I don't understand that fully, and uh, I look forward to going down there. So I, I would appreciate your prayers for myself and the other 10, 11 people that are planning to go in uh, July. We're leaving July 19th and uh, coming back August 1st for almost two weeks, and so uh, I'd appreciate your prayers in that. Well, moving on to Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 21, Paul gives us these words. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul gives us this this concept of submitting, of putting the needs of other people uh, before our own needs. And in fact, we spent really three weeks kind of breaking that down as a congregation. Uh, We talked about it within the context of marriage, of parenting, uh, of work. In verse 22, he talks about how wives would submit to their husbands. It says, wives submit, later on he says, respect your husbands uh, as unto the Lord. In verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In chapter 6, verse 1, he talks about how children would do that. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. A couple verses later, he tells how fathers can submit to the needs of their children. Fathers, do not exasperate your children instead. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
The next verse, he talks about how slaves, or we talked about how employees, uh, can do that at work. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And a couple of verses later, in verse 9, he says, um, and masters or, or bosses or employers, uh, treat those who work for you in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. And so I, I know that for many of you, there were some real practical ways that you uh, lived that out, that you practiced submitting to people around you. Sometimes when God works in our life and does something really great, um, sometimes it's so personal, um, it's, it's such an intimate thing for us that it's difficult for us to share that with other people. And as a pastor, I get to hear a lot of your stories. People will come up and say, God did this. God taught me this. You know, I got to apply this. But it's very personal. It's very private. So, you know, I'd appreciate it if you don't tell anyone. And so I get to enjoy it, but a lot of times you don't. We're going to show you a video uh, from a couple of uh, our college career age guys who had an experience like that, who really grew personally. And it, I think I just have a ton of respect off the top for them being willing to share their story uh, with the rest of us. Let's watch this. Cool, huh? Yeah, how encouraging is that? I, uh, I just have so much respect for those guys being willing to share that story with the rest of us. Um, just God bless them for that. That was awesome. Well, last week we kind of wrapped up, got right near the end of the book of Ephesians. Um, you might remember Paul closes the book by talking about prayer and encourages us to pray for one another. He says, don't, don't ever stop doing that. And then he asks uh, us to pray for him, or he asks the Ephesians to pray for him. And he said, pray for me also, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. It's interesting to me as Paul asks for prayer what he does and doesn't ask for. He uh, says, pray that uh, when I have the opportunity, I will, without fear, share the gospel with people around me. Uh, it tells you a lot about Paul's priorities, about uh, Paul's passion, and it tells you a lot about what Paul struggled with. Uh, what's interesting to me is what Paul doesn't ask prayer for. Paul doesn't say, pray that God would get me out of this dump, you know, which is uh, probably what I would have prayed, because he's writing this from prison. He was in prison when, the book, when he started writing the letter, He's in prison as he's wrapping up the letter. He didn't say, pray that um, people finally give me the honor that I deserve or pray that God will finally reward me for my faithfulness to, to him. You see, I think Paul didn't ask for those things because Paul had uh, several years earlier learned a really important lesson that had carried through for him. Uh, we know that a few years earlier, Paul had some kind of chronic problem. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He doesn't tell us what it is, but he, he, he kind of codenamed it his thorn in the flesh, if you're familiar with that. And some people think Paul's thorn in the flesh was a physical ailment. Some think it was ma malaria. Some think that he had, was suffering from migraines or some kind of eye problem. Some people think it was actually a person, <laughs> was his thorn in the flesh. Um, and Paul says that he went to God and he prayed, God, please, this, there's something in my life I'm really uncomfortable with. And he prayed, God, would you please take away this thorn in the flesh? And God didn't take it away. And so Paul prayed a second time and God didn't take it away. And Paul prayed a third time. And God didn't take it away. And this is Paul's conclusion in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, three times I pleaded. So he didn't just kind of ask. He was pleading, begging, honest knees with God that the Lord would take it away. 
But God said to me, my, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, what in the world does that mean? It just means Paul had prayed for God to take this thing away. And Oswald Chambers kind of summed it up this way. He said this, as long as we get from God everything we ask for, we never really get to know him, do we? We just take the answer and we run. I'll just put it slightly different. Sometimes God answers our prayer by giving us what we ask. He loves to do that. But sometimes God will answer our prayer by giving us more of himself. And Paul had learned through this situation that sometimes in order to get more, experience more of God, God's going to have to withhold some stuff so that we can experience him in our life. And as we, as we close this study on Ephesians, I know that for some of you, you were praying for God to do something in your life six months ago when we started this. And maybe God still hasn't answered your prayer. And I had a bunch of people come up last night and say, yeah, you know. In fact, I had one guy come up and say, you know, when, when we started Ephesians, I had a job, but I don't have one now. So, you know, I've, I've been praying, in it, but I haven't been hearing from God. Maybe you've been, uh, you've been praying like Paul for, for healing because you really desired relief. But maybe what you've experienced in the last six months is something much better, some, something much deeper. The grace, the power of God in your life. And you've gotten a lot closer to God because of that. Maybe some of you six months ago, you were praying for companionship and you're still praying. But in the process, God has given you a, a deeper relationship with him. Maybe for some of you, you, you were praying for some clear direction in some decision you had to make and you, you still don't have the answer to that. But in the process, you've been ex- able to experience more communion, more time with God as you've learned to depend upon him daily and wait upon him. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's, you've been praying for more income because you're financially insecure at this point. You've been praying for that and it still hasn't come because God has wanted to give you something even deeper in the process more of himself. In verse 24, this is how Paul ends this letter. He says, grace. Same way he started it. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Paul's still in prison. Paul still has his his thorn in the flesh. Paul's still chained to a Roman guard. But Paul has grace. And Paul says, you know what? That's more than enough. I want to encourage you as we uh, close today and as we close this series. God has grace for you. And you will find in that grace more than you could have ever imagined. God is waiting for you. He loves you. My prayer is that we will all go today in the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had together over the last six months to read your word, to study it, to be challenged, to be blessed by it, to have lives that have been changed by it. Father, like Paul, some of us are still waiting upon you. We're still asking you for something. But we know that in the process, Father, you desire to dwell deep in our hearts, to fill us up with your love, to fill us up with your presence and to shower us with your grace. Father, my prayer is that now more than ever, we would be able to recognize and really enjoy 
your grace and your love for us. Thank you for our time together in this book. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.